So today what we're going to do is we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to tell you what it's going to be about. If you remember, we've kind of looked at, okay, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. Then last week, it was a little bit nerve wracking with husbands and wives. But I want to just tell you on the front end, listen, facts are our friends. Facts are our friends. That saying means that, okay, just objective truth. If you look at it, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's like, oh, that kind of stings just a little bit, facts can be your friends. If you can look at that, help you assess the situation, and then make some necessary changes because of that, then facts are your friends. So here are a few random facts as we kind of jump into the text. Here are, just, here are basic facts about the family, and in some cases just about you individually, but over the last 25 years, families eat together a lot less, although houses are 40% bigger. The Americans average two and a half hours less sleep every single night, all right? That's down from 100 years ago, two and a half hours less sleep. The average American works four more weeks a year than just in 1979. Three-fourths of y'all, 75% of the folks at church today, you take your smartphone to the toilet with you, okay? 75% of you actually take your smartphone to go to the bathroom. You're like, I don't know if I can, I can what, do I, what else am I gonna do in there? You'll figure it out, all right? You just, you'll figure it out, but three quarters of you take it in there. All right, in 2000, our attention span was 12 seconds. It is now eight seconds. For reference, a goldfish, their attention span is nine seconds. So we lose, we, we're more distracted than goldfish are. Couple more ones. Uh, we got American families on average you spend 37 minutes a day in quality time with your family. 37, that's, that's the top end, all right? That's the ceiling. 37 minutes a day, which is a little over 2% of your day, is spent in quality time with your family. And then you add on to that, there are like 258 million prescriptions of anti-anxiety medication in the U.S. And realize we only got 340, we only got 340 million citizens in the U.S. and there's 250 million prescriptions. So all that being said, what we're going to look at today in our culture is like break this glass in case of emergency. This is an emergency situation. If you're just asking our culture, how you doing? More than likely you're going to say, oh man, I'm doing good. I'm just really, really busy. I'm just, I'm just staying busy. One pastor said this. He says, I look in the mirror and I see a person who is emotionally unhealthy, spiritually shallow. My marriage is a duty, not a delight. I am disconnected from my kids. I am stressed out. I am on edge and I'm quick to snap at the people that I love the very, very most. Now, when you look at all the, hear all those statistics, you might think this is going to be a message on slowing down. You know what? You might think I'm going to say, hey, you just need to kind of slow down a little bit. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a message on slowing down. I don't see slowing down in, in the Bible at all. What I do see is I see in the Bible, we're supposed to work really, 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 really hard. That if you're a Christ follower, you should be like the best worker at your company. HR people should be calling all over Western North Carolina saying, I don't really know about these Christians and they kind of seem like a weird bunch, but man, they're great workers. They show up on time. They don't steal inventory. They help other people with their work. Man, they get the job done. You should be a great worker. So again, you work really, 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 really hard, but you work in rhythm. You work in rhythm. A huge gift is what Jesus calls it, a gift. A huge gift that God gives to you and to families 
is what is called Sabbath. Now, I know depending on how you grew up, when I say the word Sabbath, you probably go into one of two ditches. You either think it's a day to be sad or it has no relevance other than the fact that you get mad when you drive by Chick-fil-A and it's not open, but you're like, I don't know how much relevance it really has for me. Here's what the word Sabbath means. The word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word Shabbat, which does not mean slow down. It actually means to stop. The Sabbath is a 24-hour change of rhythm where you refrain from your normal work or schoolwork, whatever it is, your normal work, whatever you do, if you're a counter or plumber or whatever it is, you refrain from that, you refuel in your walk with God, and you reconnect with people. And in our perspective, you reconnect with your family. Now, here's the context of the text we're going to look at. Israel is just not that far removed from being slaves in Egypt. And they're gathered at a place called Mount Sinai, and they're waiting for Moses to come down, and he comes down with what is known typically as the Ten Commandments. Now, if you go to church here very long, one of the things you're going to hear is over and over, there's like six or eight phrases that we use repeatedly, and the reason is I want you to understand it. And one of those phrases that you've heard many, many, many times is when you look at the Ten Commandments in particular, or even what is called the law in general, there's basically two ways you want to look at it. When you look at it, we typically talk about it can either be a map or a mirror. And normally what we look at is we look at it being a mirror. The book of Galatians in the New Testament says that the law is a tutor. It's a schoolmaster to show us that we're in trouble. It's to show us that all of those 10 commandments, we broke, we have broken and we break it repeatedly and we need somebody to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's showing us our need for the gospel. It's showing us our need for Jesus. All right, we don't get saved by the law, by doing all that kind of stuff. And I got to obey all these laws. That's when you say, you know, hey, obey the law, then it's kind of like telling some, like a, like a drowning man, you're like, swim faster, swim faster, swim faster. And eventually it is exhausting. So initially the law is to be a mirror to show you your need for Jesus. But secondly, the one we don't emphasize as much is it's not just to be a mirror that you look into and say, uh-oh, it is also a map on the way that God designed you to actually flourish. When you look at the Ten Commandments, you look at them and you're like, yeah, life typically works out better if I don't commit adultery, if I don't cheat, or if I don't do these things. Now, I'm going to read this verse or these verses, and I want you to remember two things. This is the longest commandment. It actually makes up about 30% of all of the Ten Commandments. And then secondly, when you read it, rabbis would say this is what they call a hinge verse, meaning that when you look at the Ten Commandments in general, they are a reflection of when Jesus said, listen, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the first three commandments are about your vertical relationship with God. Five through 10 are about your relationship with other people. But number four is a hinge. It's the hinge. In other words, it affects your relationship with God and it affects your relationship with other people. Here are the way the verses go. Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. In other words, your whole house. For in six days, and this is the reason, in other words, this is the principle. This is actually pre-fall. This is when the 
world was just like being made by God. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested. I know that brings up some questions like, why does God need to rest? And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, before we get to how do we Sabbath in 2024, let me give you some background. Because depending on how old you are and in the environment that you grew up in, and to some degrees, the culture or subculture you grew up in is how you look at the Sabbath. Now, there's some of you, you grew up in a culture, and maybe if you're like 60 years and up, and not necessarily just that, but if you especially grew up in a religious household, then when you think of Sabbath, if you're not careful, then you think of the Sabbath as kind of like the day you can't do stuff. It is the day to be sad. It is the day you can't fish and you can't shop and you can't go to movies and you can't have fun and you can't cook. You can't do any of that stuff. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it goes way past anybody alive in here. The rabbis actually looked at this commandment. There's 39 words in the Hebrew language in this commandment. They looked at this commandment and thought, you know what? That's not enough. We need to add to it. And so what they did is they added, they took the 39 words and said, let's add more. And they added laws to how to protect to not break the Sabbath. And so you had laws like, you had laws like you can't look at a mirror on the Sabbath. Because if you looked at a mirror, you might like see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. So you can't do that. You, uh, you can't walk more than, I think it was two thirds of a mile. You can walk up to two-thirds of a mile, but if, you're, if, you're, if your watch tells you, hey, you're almost there, you got to stop because anything else, you would be working on the Sabbath. And then amazingly, even after they added 39, they thought, that's, not, that's still not enough. They eventually, the rabbis, added up to 1,500 rules, fences, if you will, to make sure that they don't get close to the fence so they don't go over the fence. And by the way, sometimes if you grow up in church, you hear things like the people that Jesus butted heads with all the time. They typically are called the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the religious leaders or the scribes. Just so you understand, here's what was going on. If you grew up in that environment, you look at them as like the Klingons in Star Trek. You're like, they're always bad. But here's kind of a good warning for us. You know why those people develop like that? The way they developed initially was they saw that Israel was oftentimes judged by God for getting away from the word. And what they did is they say, well, we get under judgment because we get away and we disobey God. And here they are, even when Jesus is time, living under Roman oppression. And so their whole idea is, listen, we get away from the word, we forget God. So we're gonna put fences, fences next to the fence that God has put to make sure we never even get close to the fence. By the way, God's law was called the Torah, but the oral tradition, all the stuff they added to it was called the Mishnah. And so the Mishnah with all these extra rules, and I want you to keep this in mind. What that was typically talked about, if you, if you followed a rabbi, a teacher, you wanted to be like him, you wanted to learn what he, what he did, you want to learn what he taught. And all those extra rules, you know what they were called? They were called the rabbi's yoke. Keep that in mind before, because we're going to look at Jesus and what he said about his yoke in a few minutes. So here's what he says. And by the way, that's older. If you're younger, again, younger, all you do is you kind of think of the Sabbath oftentimes and you think it's just a weekend. It's a time to recreate. It's time to get like exhausted, TGIF. Let's just make sure the weekend is there. And yet statistically, you know something's wrong because that generation, you're like the most anxious, most over-medicated generation we've ever seen. So here's some words to kind of make sure you take note of. Verse eight says, remember the Sabbath, remember. The idea is it's easy to forget because here's the deal. Israel had a propensity to 
have spiritual amnesia, they would forget God. And when they would typically forget him, it's not when things were bad, but when things were good. When things were bad, they would cry out to God. We'll see this in the book of Judges here in a couple months. When things were bad, they would cry out to God and then God would deliver them and God would bless them. But in their blessing, they would have a tendency to kind of step back and go, look at the farm we built. Look at the crops that we raised. Look at the families that we have. And they would forget that was a gift from God. And so they would forget God and they would kind of go into this cycle over and over and over again. We do the same thing. When things are good, we have a tendency to forget God. And part of the Sabbath is to kind of reorient around God and his grace in our life. Now, a couple more words. Look at the word holy. He says the Sabbath day is to be holy. Now, in that audience, that would have been crazy because in their time, these initial people, all the gods that surrounded them, you had to go to a certain place. You had to go to this mountain or this valley or this shrine or this temple or somewhere. And what God is coming and saying, listen, I live in time and space, but I want you to set aside a time to nourish the relationship that I have with you. And he says, keep it. It means guard it. It means watch over it. In other words, this is easy to just become the weekend. And then lastly, he says, what do you do? He says, cease from your work. For clarity, it doesn't mean you can't do anything. As a matter of fact, put in your notes Mark chapter 2, because that's where these Jesus is actually, he and, his, he and his posse are kind of going around, and they're like taking snacks out of this field. And the Scribes are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're working on the Sabbath. And that's where Jesus makes his famous statement. Listen, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is for man. Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for, it's given to, it's a gift to, it's a gift to man. It's a gift. And when we look at it in this thing, it's, it's kind of like a trust issue. Think of what he's telling them. He's telling them, I want you to trust me enough that I'm taking one seventh of your productivity on paper away. On paper, instead of you working seven days a week, I want you to only work six days a week and trust that you and me together, that if I'm your partner, you, I will actually make up that gap. It's kind of like tithing. You gotta trust God that, all right, God and me at 90% is way better than just me and me at 100%. And so when you look at the text, it's like the labor, and then it says the Lord rested. Now, that is the one that causes issues. What does it mean? I mean, we know God doesn't get tired. So think about it this way when it comes to the creation story. When God rests, this, is, this blew my mind. I actually never noticed this until this week. I've been doing this a long time, but never noticed this. The word rest there, it's kind of like if you're a musician, you might have a rest in the music. And it's not because you're exhausted. It's because you like just did this beautiful thing and then you like step back and reflect and rejoice over what just happened. That's the way God's resting. But check it out. There's a rhythm in the creation narrative. In the creation narrative, here's the way it basically goes. God says something, it happens, and then there's evening. And that happens over and over again. So he says something, it happens, and then there's evening. And then the first three days, he creates environments, and then in days four, five, and six, he puts stuff in the environment, including, including Adam and Eve on day six. Now check it out. In Genesis chapter one, at about verse 28, God looks at the man and the woman and he gives them what is called the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate is when he basically looks at them and says, you go and you subdue and cultivate. This planet, this garden I've given you, it's kind of messy, so I need you to come along and like put it together and make some order of it. So he tells them that on day six. I mean, it's the culture, that's a big, big job. 
But on day seven, chapter two, verse one, it says God rested from all of those labors. And Adam and Eve are obviously right there. In some ways, that's the first command he gave to both Adam and Eve to rest. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Pentecost when he tells the disciples, hey, I want you to go out and evangelize the whole world. But then he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait unless, until I send a helper. Here he's like, listen, you're not, you haven't even worked at all. But what I want you to do is I don't want you to rest from your work. I want you to rest for the work that I have for you. And then he says, it's a blessed day. Here's the biggest picture I want you to understand before I tell you how to Sabbath or give you principles on how to Sabbath. This day is to be a blessing to us, not a burden. It's a blessing day. It's not to be a burden day. This is to bless you and your families and for you to live in the rhythm that God actually made you and created you to live in. Because bottom line, our rhythms in our families typically are not that good. A couple of y'all have a couple of theological questions before we jump into the application. Theological question number one. Somebody's going to say, well, we're not under the law. Sabbath was law. We're not under the law. And that is true in some ways. Ultimately, the Sabbath pointed to Jesus, just like the whole law did. I think it's the book of Hebrews that says that the Sabbath is a shadow it's a shadow of what was to come. It's a shadow of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is the one that takes a soul that is restless and gives it rest through the gospel. So technically, are we under the law? No, we're not under the law. If you're in Jesus, you are not under, you're not under the law. The law is to point you to Jesus. But it doesn't mean you and I don't look at the wisdom and the principle of the Sabbath. It's very needed. And keep this in mind. Keep in mind the fact that Sabbath was given actually before sin ruined everything. It was definitely pre-law and it was actually pre-fall. Genesis chapter two, verse one. He's like, you know what? God rested before you do anything else, Adam and Eve. I want you to take a nap. I mean, how awesome is that? So here's the uh, second question usually comes up. It's like Sabbath was actually, Sabbath is Saturday. Sabbath is Saturday. And again, technically that is true, but the book of Acts is really clear. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. Most of the early church, especially initially, were Jewish people who had been converted. They had said, you know what? He is the promised Messiah. That when he rose from the grave, you're like, I'm convinced. And so what they did is they chose Sunday instead of Saturday to worship. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead and made more sense for them to celebrate salvation and the new life and the empty tomb to celebrate that on Sunday. So, and by the way, I'm not about to give you a bunch of rules for the Sabbath. What I found is if you give a bunch of Sabbath rules, you don't get a lot of Sabbath rest. But there are some principles that you can then make fill in the blank with the understanding this is to be a blessing to you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be a blessing. God designed it that way. So let's put down three reasons and three ways we Sabbath in 2024. Number one, this is a big one. One way we Sabbath today is it is there for you to refuel with God. It is there for you to refuel with God. You see real clearly, it's like this. And listen, this is a day that is to be set apart. The word holy means sanctified or set apart. So technically we are free from the Sabbath law, but listen, we're made of the same stuff Israel was made of. How many of us do not have the same tendency to get spiritual amnesia and forget God and the gospel? I mean, we come in here and we get all fired up and then it's by Wednesday and you're like, you forget where your identity is from. You forget what your purpose is for. You get buried into your shame. All this stuff happens really, 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 really gradually, but it's imminent that it happens. It doesn't take 
two or three days before you like, I need to be refueled in my relationship with God. Think about it this way. Your car, once it gets out of alignment, you gotta do something to bring it back in alignment. If you wanna get out of alignment, all you gotta do is go from North Carolina to South Carolina highways. That's all you gotta do. You hit South Carolina, boom, your car gets out of alignment. That's as easy as it goes. Just saying, it's just true. Or think about it this way. Think about a battery. Like the other day, that gummit, the smoke alarm starts going off. And is it not, is it just us or is the smoke alarms, they always go off. They're never gonna go off at like six when you're just getting home or something. They go off at like two in the morning, three in the morning. Dogs go crazy. You're trying to figure out where the batteries are. Then you gotta kind of figure out which a smoke alarm it actually is. And it's like hide and seek. And then you gotta wait 10 minutes for it beeps. And then you run to the other part of the house. And here's what the, I was like, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be an app for this somewhere. And then finally, it's like, well, what the fire people say is what you need to do is have a rhythm and change the batteries and all of your smoke alarms and all your smoke detectors, you know, several times a year. I'm like, what dork does that? I mean, seriously, how nerdy is changing your battery? What are you doing today? I'm changing all. God bless your ministry if that's what you do. I just can't see that happening, but it's probably the smart thing to do. It's smart because it's in rhythm and you know that thing is gonna wear down. Here's what the Sabbath is. It's for you to take one day a week and refuel recharge your relationship with God. As a matter of fact, good news is you're doing it right now. Some of you are doing it right now. You didn't even know you were doing it. For example, the Bible says this. It says, don't neglect to meet as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's what was going on a little while ago. And you might not even know it. When you sing with the saints, when you sing with each other and you start to hear and you start to sing, there was some stuff changing in you that you did not even know. When you jump in the word, when you make decisions, when we respond to the gospel, this is, it's life change begins to happen. Now with rhythms, it's not usually all at once, but over time, not overnight, but over time, those rhythms make a difference. So there's one other place that this command is done almost verbatim, but he adds something. Don't turn to it, but this same exact phrasing is in a book called the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy just means second law giving. And what they mean is that's Moses. Moses, knows he's about to die. He knows they're about to go in the promised land. He knows that they're gonna forget God, all this kind of stuff. So he goes back over stuff, again, because they're prone to forget. So he goes back over the stuff and he goes back over the Sabbath law with like just a little bit of revision. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, you show, he does the whole thing from Exodus. Then he says, you shall remember that you were a slave, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you. Now he's not just saying remember, he's like commanding you, commanding you. Why? Because it's not about our intentions. All of us have had good intentions and we've never taken action on it. And we're not even at the end of January yet. Some of you already given up like your exercise resolution that you made or your diet resolution. All my point is, is like intentions don't change anything. It's the action. So he says, remember where you came from and who actually brought you out of that. So he's like, remember you were a slave. This is interesting. He's telling a people that will be the first generation to grow up in freedom. Because their parents, their grandparents, their great-great-grandparents, all they knew was slavery. Then they got set free. And in Deuteronomy, that's going to be the first generation to do nothing but freedom. But he's like, remember, remember 
The slavery was there. So when you come in here, what do you do? Part of what happens in a corporate worship service is we like sing these songs and we understand, listen, we have to remember where we came from. We have to remember who did it for us. Because when he's saying, look back at your slavery, he's like, remember, you didn't help at all getting you out of Egypt. Remember, you didn't part the Red Sea. God did that. And so when we sing songs, what are we remembering? Remembering ultimately the Sabbath is about Jesus. So what do we do? We sing songs about Jesus. So whether you knew it or not, even when you were like, half of y'all were late, so you didn't hear the first song. It was awesome, okay? So part of it was like, I take you at your word. That is a declaration that God wrote a book and I'm gonna trust what he said. So you are saying that even if you're having a hard time, maybe in a difficult season, believing it. But your faith is building, your fear is fleeing, even as you're singing it. Then you go to the next song. Next song was, uh, what king is this? What king is this? Who would give his life in exchange for mine? So what are you doing? You're focusing in on the gospel and what Jesus did for you and the fact that you were a slave, but now you're a son. All, right? All that shame had been taken away, but now you can live in freedom. What did Jesus say? He said, you will know the son and the, those that know the son are free indeed. Those that know the truth will be set free. All those things is like, that's what, the, that's what the whole thing is about, reflecting on what God has done. And then the last song was worthy of all of it. I love it. Worthy of all of it. Worthy of all of it. Do you know, actually, what you're doing is expressing gratitude. One of the cool little things about Google is you can look at all this new study. And one of the new studies that's out there is the way our brains function. And that if you're like super anxious and super, you know, really in a bad spot, if you will just shift over to gratitude for a period of time, the way God has made you, he will actually rewire your brain just by expressing gratitude. So just by singing some songs and expressing gratitude and being with the people, God's given you a blessing. Now, part of it you need to probably do by yourself. Not probably. You need to do by yourself kind of a daily Sabbath, a daily Sabbath. Now, what does that look like? It's basically a time to worship in the word, just like you do here, but just do it individually. I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody that really loves Jesus. It doesn't have at least several times a week where it's just them, cup of coffee, Bible, praying. Start that as a, as a rhythm. But one of the things you do with Sabbath is not just refuel with your relationship with God, but you gotta reconnect with others. Now look at verse 10, and I want you to notice the Sabbath is the whole family unit, including the livestock, even the visitors that came from out of town. Here's what I wanna challenge you, is make the Sabbath, make Sabbath fun. Make Sabbath fun. It's not supposed to be a day to be sad. It's supposed to be a day to be glad. Jewish dads would take honey and put it on the lips of their kids while they were sleeping on Sabbath so that when they would wake up, still on Sabbath, when they would wake up, they would taste that nice, sweet, delightful honey and they would associate the sweetness of the honey with the delight of the Sabbath. So in the same way as a family, if you're a family unit, man, make the Sabbath a fun, fun, delightful day. Now, this is going to hurt, but it's okay. Pre-2007, there was this device that came out that if some of y'all weren't alive in 2007, but if it pre-2007, there was a deal called a BlackBerry. BlackBerry was like that first, that first phone. And they had congressional hearings. People started calling it the CrackBerry. Because what they said is with so much information, 24-7 availability, that's going to be like crack. I mean, people will actually be like checking emails while they're at dinner. We got to do something about that. But then 2007 happened. You know what happened in 2007? 
So in, in 2007, that's the year Steve Jobs released the iPhone into the wild and everything changed. By the way, that's the same year that Twitter came out. That's the same year that the app store became available. That's the same year that cloud started to kind of come out as well. So in 2007, a lot of stuff changed. They say that was the beginning of the dig digital age. Now loved ones, listen to me. I want you to listen carefully. This is a blind spot for us and it's a lot of good stuff. I'm not saying it's bad. It's a lot of good stuff in here. I'm not saying you're supposed to be Amish, all right? I'm not saying you gotta be Amish. Some of you are like, you're making fun of the Amish. I'm not. They're not watching anyway, okay? They don't even have a laptop, so they're not watching. So one of you all have to tell them. All I'm telling you is, I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying do that. What I'm saying is this is the blind spot for us. This can kill the family pretty quick. Functionally, it can kill the family. The average iPhone user touches, touches their phone 2,617 times a day. 2,617 20, times. Now granted, if you're like scrolling on Instagram or TikTok, you can go through like 200 before you even know it. Again, somebody's like, well, what do I, you know, I, I, what do I do? If I don't take it to the bathroom, what do I do? It's like, You'll figure it out. I mean, you will, you will figure it out. But 2,600 times a day, we touch this. Three hours a day on social media. Just so you know, and I'm gonna read this one quote to you by an insider in just a second. But what happens is they've done studies and they look at the brain of a heavy social media user and the brain of a gambling addict and they're almost identical. Because what happens is is the same thing when that guy pulls that slot machine and he wins and dopamine hits and it changes his brain. Same way when he pulls that slot and he loses and he gets cortisol in there, same thing happens when you make a post and nobody comments. So, insider, a guy named Sean Parker, some of y'all only know him as Justin Timberlake because, he, uh, because of the movie. He's the first president of Facebook he, is now, he now calls himself a conscientious objector to social media. I'm gonna read this quote to you. I want to, I want you to, this is an insider. This is an insider talking to outsiders about what the insider's strategy is to try to get us as outsiders. So here's what he says. Quote, God only knows what is going on in our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications Facebook being the first of them, again, first president of Facebook saying this. It was all about, quote, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? Just understand, they start off with the premise, the question that they want to answer, the way they design things, the algorithms, all of that stuff. Here's what they're saying. How do we consume as much of your time and your conscious attention as possible. He says, and that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content and that's gonna get you da 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 more likes, more comments, etc. And here's the way he closes. He says, it is a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with 
quote, because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. What is he saying? He's saying, this is not necessarily your friend. You just got to realize this phone doesn't work for you. Just to hear me on this phone doesn't work for you. This phone works for somebody in California. What you've got to figure out is don't be enslaved to this. Use it. It's great. Don't be enslaved to it. You're like, well, I'm not, I'm not enslaved to it. Fine. Just put it away for just a little while. I can't do that. Just put it away for a little while. Take a digital Sabbath, even for like an afternoon. I promise you, it is so healthy. I tried it. All right. I didn't take you to the bathroom at all this week. So I'm like, it's awesome. It's awesome. I didn't actually, I actually did. I tried to limit any kind of screen time. And you know what? Even in that little sample size, I can already feel like a little more of my soul and a little more of my relationship with God and a little bit more time with you and a little bit more time with my wife. How many times have you gone into a restaurant and you look over and you see a family of four? There's mom, there's dad, there's Scooter, and there's sissy or whatever. And they're all on the, they're like, oh, that's cute. Until you all realize they're just like this, like this. Again, I'm not saying these are not helpful. They're super helpful. By the way, some of you are like, well, you know, what if we take a selfie? First of all, that's cool. But if you're a man, don't take a selfie. Just telling you, if you're a man, don't take a selfie. All right, here's the way. If you're a man, here's the way you take a selfie. You start up here. You're like, no, it's too high. They go here. Then you just put it in your pocket and don't take a selfie. All right. Cause men don't take selfies. So don't, don't take a selfie and then limit it. Just put it in a box for like three hours this afternoon. Put it in a box. I know it'll be hard. I know you get the shakes, but I promise you, if you want to get to the family rhythm, you got to get at least a little bit under control. And then lastly, rest from your work. This is so fun. Rest from your work. When I say work, I don't mean rest from work. I mean, rest from your work. I think it was some rabbi. He also said this way. He said, if you work with your head, if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands, if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind, that's pretty good advice. Okay. What that means is like for me, I work with my mind most of the time, all right? That's where I'm, I'm working with my mind in meetings or preparation or whatever. And so what's really refreshing to me is to rest from that and like go do something that's much more like working with my hands. That's why it's refreshing for me even to like take corn out to the feeder or go to the gym or whatever because that's doing something that is not with my mind. It's actually with my hands. Maybe you work with your hands. Then do something with your mind that stimulates that. Either way, here's what I want you to think of. Ask yourself the question, what fills your tank? I mean, this is, why it's a, this is why it's a gift. You reconnect with God, refuel with God. You reconnect with your family, but then you get to actually rest, man. If, it, if, if taking a nap, if taking a nap gives you a lot of refreshment and restoration and recre- see, recreation doesn't always recreate. How many times have you come back exhausted from the lake and you're like, man, I barely get up on Monday morning because we had such a crazy weekend. That's not Sabbath. There's times for that. Just realize that's not Sabbath. So what fills your tank? What fills your tank? I mean, good night. We live in Western North Carolina, folks. We got it like right outside our front door. Go to the parkway, take a hike, take a nap, do whatever, have a great meal. All of that kind of stuff is within the Sabbath. But here's what I would say this. There is no way, and this, the way Jesus used yoke, he makes a clear point that you can do all the resting and recreating and recreation and all that stuff, and your soul still be restless. Your soul can be restless. That's why one of his most amazing invitations, here's what he says in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, come to me. That's an invitation. Come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. This is not talking about physical. It's okay to be tired. We're made to be tired, and then we 
live in rhythm, we Sabbath, get ready to go. But he's not talking about, he's talking about soul weariness, soul restlessness. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Understand, he's not saying life is easy. He's saying his yoke is easy. Why is his yoke easy? Because he's going to pay the full price on a cross not too many years after he says this statement. He's going to pay it. He's contrasting that to the yoke of religion. The yoke of religion is do all this stuff so you have right standing before God. His yoke is, listen, I'm going to pay the price And if you will actually accept that invitation, you can have right standing before God because I'm going to pay it all for you. So here's what I'm going to do. Why don't you uh, stand to your feet for a second. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Here's the way we're going to respond. The way we respond typically at our church, if you're kind of new, is we talk about we come, sing, and bring. We come, sing, and bring. Now, what do I mean by come? Come and pray. Now, there's some repentance that is involved in this. Some of you got some burdens, Some of you got some things you need to change, some priorities you need to switch, and you're going to need some spiritual guts to actually make those decisions. Some of you are going to have to say, all right, my wife is not going to drag me to church anymore. I'm going to actually kind of help with the whole family deal, or I'm going to change my priorities to make sure that we're reconnecting with each other, or we're going to take a Sabbath, or maybe you just got a burden. Maybe you got a family deal, a prodigal deal, a business deal. And you just come up and pray. Listen, there's no reason to not come up and pray regardless of what you got going on. Just come up and pray. Secondly, when we sing a song, when the song is in what you call to God, there's some songs about God. Most of the songs we sing, not everyone, most of them are to God. You hear me on that? The song we're about to sing is not about God, it's to God. And the basic gist of the song is two things. On one hand, it's I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. I mean, I'm going to That's what it means when you actually accept Jesus as Lord, that he's the boss, I'm no longer the boss. When you surrender to the Lordship of Christ, what you're saying is, I surrender, all right? When you and I disagree, you're right, I'm wrong, and I'm gonna change. That's what Lordship means. So when you say, I surrender, it also has a phrase in there that says, make room. I'm gonna make room for you. I'm gonna make room for you. Some of us need to do just that. We need to make room, make room in our lives in these hectic schedules and make sure we're refueling with God, make sure we're reconnecting with each other and then just getting restored so we can start the week off, which starts tomorrow. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, Think about it this way. This song is a prayer. It's to God, it's a prayer. So when you say make room for you, it might be even helpful for you, if you, even if you like close your eyes and just like, you know what, I'm going to make room for God because it's a prayer. We're all going to be praying all over the 828, the same prayer at the same time. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond. Either come and pray, sing like we mean it, or some of you are like, I need to bring, I need to bring my first and best. I need to trust God with the mission. So Father, that's what our prayer is. Pray the next four minutes. I mean, it's kind of, Lord, it's kind of funny when I just, when I just said it out loud. This four minutes, it's got to be in that, but Lord, we do pray the next few minutes as you got a bunch of people singing, make room. God, give us the spiritual guts to actually do that. You say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. There's people, there's marriages, there's students, and they are tired. Their soul is restless. I pray you give them rest for their souls. I also pray you give them wisdom for their lives. God, I pray that today we'd put a stake in the ground, put a line in the sand to say, 
You know, things changed on our family trajectory right here. We decided to Sabbath with our marriage. We decided to Sabbath with our family. And that's the practical thing that you brought into our lives that really saved our marriage or saved our family. Lord, we want to give those to you. We want to accept your invitation. Lord, pray again the next four minutes you would be glorified and that the people around us, we'd be edified by our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.